It's NFL football by numbers time. And now we, after the last couple months, we have gotten out of the linemen and linebackers realm. And we have got the jersey number 80, the land of the wide receivers, and some defensive backs. And it's all coming up with Oz Davis in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, your portal to positive football history, and we have the Football by Numbers series back once again, and we have left the land of the big boys, and we are entering in the realm of the wide receivers. Jersey number 80 is up tonight, and we have our friend Oz Davis of the Truly the Goats and the SHN Showcase podcast coming on with us. Oz Davis, welcome back to the Pigpen. I should say also game film podcast. Oh, I forgot about that. That's oh gosh, Aaron, Aaron bi- is going to be uh he's going to be screaming at me. <laughs> the bi-weekly the bi-weekly podcast which reviews a threesome of films every week. I don't really want to say a trilogy because they're not trilogies, but a troika, a triad of films every week. Uh we try and focus on one sport every episode. It comes out about every two weeks. All right. Well, what what do you have coming up next? Uh, what's your next podcast coming on? What movies are we going to be watching or oh, hearing about? The next one. Wow. I should give spoilers. Well, we just came off yeah. of the Olympics, so we just did three movies about the Olympics. Uh, next time, we are going to be doing wrestling, professional oh. wrestling. No joke. Should I give you the titles? Of course, we'll be sure. Doing, sure, sure. What the hell? Yeah. I will. Wait, hey, uh, that, that way the listeners can maybe want to want to watch the movies and uh, see, right. you know, follow right along. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, we'll try and whet your appetite if you haven't seen it. Uh, we'll cl- critically review it if you have. Uh, first one up, of course, since my partner Aaron Harris is a total film noir junkie. Uh, the first movie will be Requiem for a Heavyweight uh, on the the the. I guess it's the 50s classic black and white film starring uh, Jackie Gleason and, you know, one of these star-studded casts. Uh, it's a, you know, well-acclaimed movie. Jackie Gleason it. is a wrestler in a movie? No, wow. no, 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 no. He's, oh. a, he's like the crooked promoter, right? So basically okay, okay. The, the kick of the film is it's a heavyweight boxer. He's kind of a bum. You know, he's kind of washed up. And uh, Gleason, who's his manager, keeps betting on him. Which is, you know, absolutely insane, right? Because obviously you're going to bet against your guy and make him take a dive. <laughs> but, you know, so he loses a lot of money and convinces him to go into professional wrestling. So, <laughs> next up on the docket, of course, is the uh, the classic uh, 2014 Mickey Rourke movie, The Wrestler. Uh, oh, I yeah. believe it's 2014, which is just a brilliant excellent movie on so many levels i mean you know it's just a great film and sure uh, finally there's the shiny happy uh what is it fighting with my family yes fighting with my family i think it was a 2020 release uh hmm. movie uh a true story based on a true story 
about uh, I don't I don't know the actual wrestler. I don't recognize her, but she she comes from Britain, where her parents were both uh, you know very low level pro wrestlers, you know, kind of like backyard wrestling kind of types. And her brother, who also aspires to be, of course, a WWE wrestler like she does. And it tells their story through the WWE. And it's, it's, it's a little bit like how in the 90s we had all those movies about guys who worked in the NBA or coaches of the NBA or even like a player once in a while. And the NBA would actually supply players and games and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of like that for WWE. You get ah, you know, okay. a lot a lot of cameos, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, what it's like to go through the program and all that kind of stuff. You know, plot-wise, it's kind of shiny, happy, really predictable. But uh, but it's a nice look at, you know, how you make it in pro wrestling. So in that respect, it's quite interesting. But for more, tune in to episode four of Game Film, which will be out, I'm not sure when, probably the last week of August. Okay, so be out shortly after this uh, po- this podcast. Sure. Here, so sure. nice. Okay, we'll have something to look forward to on that. Well, yeah. I mean that, that's a, a good little breather to take before we get into this because we're going to be talking about some major uh, careers at the receiving position tonight. And this is probably one of the the big numbers of, of the receivers, uh, jersey number eighty. And I, as we always start off, we always want to talk about who the Pro Football Hall of Fame recognizes wore jersey number 80 uh, and uh, is in the Hall of Fame. So in no particular order, uh, we have uh, Jack Butler, Isaac Bruce, Chris Carter, Tom Fears, Len Ford, Steve Largent, uh, James Lofton, Jerry Rice, and Kellen Winslow Sr. Uh, Would you like to talk about any of those to start off with, or do you want to talk about... uh, the guys that are not yet in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Wow. All right. Can I die on the hill? Can I start sure. by dying on the hill? Okay. Oh, no, yeah. All we right. can start with Here the we tops. Go. Here we go. This is this is like a test. This is like a pilot for an upcoming episode of Truly the Goats. All right. Okay. I want to try I want to try something with with you and your audience here. Okay. Rule number 2 of uh, Oz Davis's rule number 2 of goat is what I call the Donald Bradman. Okay? Now, Donald Bradman was a cricketer from he played on the international level from the late twenties through to through the forties, basically. Played twenty one years okay. on that level. Now, okay, I'd like to start off by, by asking, okay, Derek, do you know anything about cricket? Anything about no. cricket at all? Okay, it's, a, they, sure. it's like it's it's like a, a baseball for the Europeans, I guess is the closest <laughs> thing I can say to it. I don't know. <laughs> well, for the British Empire, for the British Empire, okay, okay, more more precise to say. Well, okay, great. I'm glad. I'm glad because I, it's the Don Bradman. So let me throw this at you, okay? Put simply, uh, cricket, unlike in baseball, uh, when as a batsman, when you get a hit. You stay at bat in cricket, okay? You stay at bat, and you're basically accumulating runs, okay? What we might call either run scored or runs batted in baseball, okay? Until you're bowled out or thrown out or whatever, okay? To get 100 points is called a century, and that's noteworthy, right? That will make the news. That will make the write-up for the game if you get that. doesn't happen that often. Okay, so 
In 21 years playing international test cricket, from 1928 to 1948, Don Bradman averaged 99.94 runs per time at bat. Okay. The next nearest are these two other Australian guys in the 21st century who went for 61.87 and 61.80 in two years and 13 years plus. He's still going. Incidentally, that's Steve Smith. So Steve Smith is a great two-sport star. He played football and international cricket. Great, great <laughs> athlete there. But in any case, the point here is that Donald Brett played for 21 years and is 40% better than the number two. Okay? That's domination. Okay. That's domination. Yeah. Do you agree? Okay. I and agree. you don't know anything and you don't know anything about cricket. Okay. Let's talk about football. Now in football, everyone wants to proclaim Tom Brady, the GOAT. Okay. But how about Jerry Rice? I'm still with Jerry. I'm still with Jerry Rice. Okay. Rice retired with 22,895 yards receiving. Okay. Probably the key stat for a receiver. Okay. At the time of his retirement, the next nearest was Tim Brown, who retired the same year with 14,934. At that time, he was 34.8% lower than Rice at number one, okay? Nowadays, you know, post the 16-game schedule, post the pass-happy rules that are now in place, right now the number two all-time is Larry Fitzgerald. He has 17,492. That's 23.5% lower, okay? Brady yeah. has not dominated like this, okay? Now, even if you want to say Brady's career achievement is Super Bowl wins, well, hey, I mean, he's got seven. Yeah, sure, he's the all-time. Yeah, he's the GOAT Mac. But Charles Haley won five Super Bowls. There's 12 other guys who won five NFL championships of some sort. There's three guys who won six, including Fuzzy Thurston and Forrest Gregg. Well, those are names. I mean right. – you know, even if you want to say, even if you want to say an individual can win the Super Bowl, Brady is still only at by fourteen point three percent. Jerry Rice is the greatest football player of all time. I am Oz Davis, and this is truly the goats. <laughs> theme music, theme music. Please. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> you make you make some good points there. You make some good points. Now, I would see. I would sit there and think. I would say Tom Brady is the goat of quarterbacks because of his championships, because. I don't even think any quarterback has even touched seven championships. Even, even though you said, you know, even if you go back to the NFL championships, maybe the Packers have, you know, maybe a Bart Starr. I'm not even sure how Bart many Starr he has. Bart Starr has five. Okay. Bart Starr so, has five. So, so he's he's not really close to what Brady is, and Brady's still going. Who knows? He could get one or two more. You don't know. we got a pretty good team this year coming up. And I would say Rice is the greatest of all time at the wide receiver position. No, no doubt about it. You know, just like I would say, you know, I'd say Jim Brown is probably the greatest of all time at running back, even though he doesn't have the stats. It's just he dominated his era so completely. That's what, that's what the I other, find. The other, the other guy you talk about is Lawrence Taylor, for example. Oh, absolutely, you know, absolutely. There's another guy who's possibly the greatest football player of all time, you know, if, if you want right. to put them all in the same pool. So you have to say, you know, he's best – you know, defensive player, if you want to say that. Uh, you know, Aaron Donald, by the time it's said and done, you know, it's going to be in this discussion, I think, as well. So, 
I mean, I mean you, know, you could look uh, at it. You could look at it another way if you want to say greatest of all time. Maybe the guy that that put professional football really on the map. You know, Red Grange. You know, he could be considered greatest. Sure. Of all time. I think there's many greatest of all times. It just depends what category or <laughs> position you're looking at. I don't know if we can sit there and say the greatest football player of all time because it's different eras, different positions. They have different jobs. You know different tasks that they're meant to do even the receivers back in 1950 don't do the same things that jerry rice had to do at, at sure. this, in this era yeah so. it's a it's a it's a sport of great specialization but i think that tom brady is the one that really drove me over the edge with the whole goat thing it wasn't even so much tom brady it was the fact that there was this interchange between Manning and Brady like every week and folks were going back and forth. Who's the greatest of all time? Da, 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 da. And then, you know, for a little while it was Breeze. Is Breeze the greatest of all time? It's like, come on, guys. Guys, look at look, look at Rice over here. Look at Rice. He was he was ahead of his time. He's still ahead of our time. For God's sake, you know. But, but, believe me, I it, I don't like to say that Tom Brady is greatest all time. A Steelers fan, <laughs> I mean, he he should, he should, I think would the Steelers beat him once in their, their career, you know, in his whole career or twice oh, maybe? Yeah. I mean, he he dominated oh, the yeah. Steelers, and we had some pretty yeah. good teams. I mean, it's coming into Pittsburgh with Steelers, you know, his, I think it's the first year of the AFC Championship game. You know, the Steelers were supposed to clean his clock and. He did it. Believe me, I don't like saying it, but it's a fact. The dude won seven championships, and he played in yeah. ten or whatever. You know, so it's yeah, it's, it's, yeah. he's brilliant. Okay, but but this this is about Jerry Rice because this is what we're I talking love Jerry. eighty. So Jerry, so, so just what can you say? I mean, again, like like again, I mean, he's the the reason why I started with Bradman is he's on that level of domination. I mean, he was so dominant for so long. And again, like his stats, uh, the game today has still not caught up to his stats. I mean, it's just that's a GOAT. That's a generational athlete. He had no peer. He had no peer. We're going to talk a bunch of 80 uh, a great wide receivers that were number 80. Dude, none of those guys, none of these guys compare to Bryce. <laughs> just right. awesome. Just awesome. Just awesome. Yeah, I mean, just just looking at how many years he wore the number 80. I mean, for a wide receiver in the National Football League, two decades, 20 years, the man played professional football at its highest level and played well. I really mm-hmm. don't think he – I mean, maybe his last year it, it dove off a little bit from his numbers in the middle of his career. But, you know, he, he played on two different teams, two different offenses that final year. But he, he still was, uh, you know, 400-some yards that last year. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean – God. Football defies statistics, but Rice defies that trend of football. You know, I mean, in so many other sports, you could say stats don't lie. You can't do that in football, but geez, stats don't lie <laughs> with Jerry. You know, um, so what is this? Five consecutive all pros twice? Ten out of 11 years he was all pro? I mean, that's... That's ridiculous. That's a career yeah. for most guys. And right. still going on for what? Six, seven more years, Bio. Seven more years in which he played almost every game. It's like <laughs> there's just yeah. there's just no comparison. You know, there's no rival for this guy. This this is like yeah. Jordan times you know, three or four. You know, this this it's just incredible. It's just incredible. 
Yeah. When I mean, we say it, goat, we should be talking about guys like Jerry Rice. We should. We we overuse that term, which is one of the precipitators of my show. But I mean, jeez. Yeah, yeah. You you don't even like. I'm calling up my pro reference, my pro football reference page right now, and I'm just I'm not even focusing on the page. And you just look at the bold. And the bold indicates yeah. when he led the league, you know, and you can just right. they're, they're just popping out at you like a three D yeah. map. You know, yeah, half of his stats are bold. You know, right. it's crazy, right? I mean, it's just wow. I mean, generational athlete for for all you young whippersnappers who never saw him play. Wow, you missed something. <laughs> really, and, <laughs> this guy he, would be a stud. And and he came out of Mississippi Valley State. <laughs> I mean, I mean. It wasn't. It wasn't Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan, <laughs> Mississippi Valley State. How did college recruiters not see with this guy? See the potential in this guy? Crazy, <laughs> crazy. Yep. You know. Yep. And uh, I'm not even sure. I think he was. Wasn't he? He wasn't even that high of a draft pick. I don't have that number in front of me. I should. Oh, gee, yeah. I, Where was he? because. I, was that still in 85? Is that still in the days when there's a crazy number of rounds in the draft? Yeah, there was like 12 rounds or something, <laughs> right? I think. Yeah. <laughs> something that, you know, people were there for like three weeks uh, <laughs> drafting. <laughs> but, uh, no, no, no. First round. First round. First round. Oh, he was a number, first round. Okay. So, yeah, number 16. So, number 16. so Bill Walsh and company, they, they saw the, the talent yeah. in this guy. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay so something. Let's see. Let's see. I just want. Oh, I'm not calling up the draft. I, I, you wonder who was taken at in this guy. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, he. But his first year out as a rookie, 927 yards, 49 receptions, three touchdowns. Not bad for a rook. You know, almost a yeah. thousand yards receiving, and only three three touchdowns. And that was probably it had to be Joe Montana then because I think he came in uh, like a couple years earlier than that. Uh, you know, then the, the play was Steve Young, you know, and Joe Montana at the same time. And then Steve Young, and then go to the Raiders, play with Rich Gannon. I mean, this guy had three stud quarterbacks, you know, three mm-hmm. pretty good arms that were tossed into him, both from mm-hmm. the right side and the left side. Mm-hmm. Ca- caught the ball spin in both ways. <laughs> Again, and we can we can say this in football a lot. You know, this is another thing about the the Brady myth is like where does Brady stop and Belichick begin, right? And you know, we've got a little bit more of an idea of that now. But who would have given him a break? Well, the same thing goes for Rice. I mean, like he is the benefactor of Walsh, you know, and that system. You know, the, the, the revolutionary passing system that he had in San Francisco. I mean, you're talking about him, like, breaking out for 900 yards in his rookie year. That's because he was, like, the number four option, right? <laughs> I mean, as, as a rookie, right? I mean, that's how pass-happy that system was. And this, to me, this is another thing about goats in football. Football is just not an individual sport. It's not. It takes certain factors like that. Look, one of the reasons why Peyton Manning was so awesome, I mean, he was going to be awesome no matter what, but the fact that he had Jeff Saturday, you know, it was one of the three or four greatest centers of all time, handing him the ball and never muffing a snap in like 12 or 13 seasons is like that's part of the Manning mystique, is it not? Mm -hmm. The fact that he was coached by Tony Dungy, 
is part of the Manning mystique, right? And, and that's the thing about football. So Rice is also benefiting from his environment, which is perfectly natural. It, and you could tell you could tell Manning was uh, really missing uh, that uh, Jeff Saturday from the Colts as a center when he w- got to the yep. Super Bowl with the Broncos and it fired the first p- uh, snap over his head. I kind of I kind of made a statement for that game. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that that set the pace for the Broncos. Right, right. That, game. that was right. the last really great blowout in the Super Bowl. Huh? That uh, yeah. Seattle yeah. Denver they they crushed them. That was not even yeah. funny. <laughs> right. It, I felt it felt like a lot like a playoff game last year that I watched with my Steelers. <laughs> Snap mm. over the head of the quarterback in the end zone. Oh First my goal. god, oh, oh, that, that, no. that's brutal when that happens. I, I, I after this year, I sympathize with the Broncos fans in that Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> that will never make the Steelers all time, uh, you know, DVD highlight uh, reel. That's for sure. No, no, that's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. Well, I think we're probably in agreement. Jerry Rice goes number one on the list number without one. any contenders. You know, we could probably just have a one-person list and show's over, and we'd be done with it. Had a great show. <laughs> but we're, we, we want to find nine other gentlemen here to join him on these greatest uh, players. We're number 80. So who, who do you want to talk about next? Uh, you know, I was looking at this list, and when, when you give us the prep list for these shows, uh, they're listed in order of, AV, the stat over there, pro football reference, which is kind of mm-hmm. like a war in baseball. And uh, I was amazed at how many towards the top are guys from, you know, the 80s, right? Our youth, right? right. I mean, I remember when we were kids. Okay, so, I mean, like number two on the list, far, far behind Jerry Rice, what a surprise, is Kellen Winslow. And mm-hmm. damn. In the 80s, uh, if you were a kid especially, what was more exciting than Air Korea? I mean, seriously, oh. like San Francisco was gorgeous, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the teams we just talked about, they were gorgeous. But, jeez, San Diego was so much fun. I mean, these guys would go for 50 a game. You know, the, right. the, these guys were the scoreboard spinners of the '80s, and they were so, and you know they had uh, Dan Fouts was your quarterback, and he was thrown to Winslow, and he was thrown to Charlie Joyner, uh, and all mm-hmm. three of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. You know, they also had John Jefferson there; he was awesome for a few years. It was just it, mm-hmm. again they had four or five options. This this was kind of like the uh, it was it was kind of like the greatest show on turf, right? Before right. that happened. Before that happened, uh, it was just their, their defense was just. It was even worse than than that. Uh, on turf defense the next year after they won the first Super Bowl, uh, because wow, I mean the the problem with them scoring fifty points is they were giving up forty, and uh, but Winslow was the benefactor of the Eric Oriel offense of Dan Fouts' ridiculous arm uh, in those years, and they were just great. They were just. Right. Every every you 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 imitated them on the playground, right? Like mm-hmm. on Mondays, on Mondays, <laughs> just like here's mm-hmm. Dan Fouts, <laughs> you just crank <laughs> it for like eighty yards. Of course, being on the East Coast, and of course you were in the East too, and you remember how it was in those days. You took what mm-hmm. they gave you. They, you took what they gave you on the TV station. So we rarely got to see these guys, but whatever no. you did, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, besides the playoffs, I think on the East Coast, the only 
game I can remember that watching the Chargers was the Holy Rollers game. That's only because they were playing Oakland and it came. Mm. I think they just cut away from the game we had in the East and went to that Holy Roller play because it was like you know they were inside the five with you know little time left and everything. But that's the only <laughs> time I really remember watching the Chargers except for like a playoff game. Mm-hmm. You, you heard about them, but we didn't have ESPN and everything to watch and see highlights on or go to YouTube. We, yeah, you're right. We didn't see it very often, except. The George Michael Sports Machine. How's that show for a throwback? Oh, Remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> Flashback. Flashback. Yeah. But basically, for, 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 the, for the whippersnappers out there, okay, today you still have it where you have like two games on Fox or two games on CBS and then one game later on Fox and CBS, right? And then you have the night game on NBC. But right. you also have Red Zone. You also have, you know, NFL Network, so you can pick your games, whatever. Okay, when we were kids – same thing, except without all that extra stuff. <laughs> so you still right. got the the two plus the one, right? And right. so and that's what you got. And you got basically it was like one half owned the NFC, one half owned the AFC. And mm-hmm. so you were probably seeing Pittsburgh every week. We were seeing the Patriots every week with New England. And then you'd get the NFC game. And that would usually be like the Giants. Right. Or the Cowboys, because they were ostensibly America's team and playing in that Eastern time zone. And then you'd get, you know, random (laughs) for the for the second game from the West. Right. So it'd be wherever they wherever they wanted to show you that week. It's probably a rotation. They probably had it on rotation. So that was fair. Right, but yeah, but usually the four o'clock game was the Cowboys. So so somehow they always end up in the four o'clock game. That's yeah. So they're, but, they're you know, trying to sell us on that America's teams thing. Kind of a hard sell at Pittsburgh. Right. But. right, yeah, we, we were debating that here <laughs> in Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, but what Winslow, I mean, what a career he had. You know, yeah. uh, it, it spanned for a good long time, too. He wore that jersey number for nine seasons, which is pretty nine. good for a, a tight end. You know, um, he five times a Pro Bowler, three times All Pro, All nineteen nineties decade team. I'm sorry, nineteen yeah. eighties decade team. Um, yeah. j- just a tremendous career. Forty five touchdowns from the tight end position. He really re- sort of revamped what that tight end was. It wasn't the big right. bully, you know, extra tackle in the block. He was a guy that could had a set of hands too. Uh, you know, right. even took amplified what Mike Ditka and uh, some of his. Uh, folks like that did earlier but well in the late 70s early 80s you had this first envisionment that the tight end could do this right you had dave casper Mm -hmm. right right casper could throw the blocks and he could catch and he could run (laughs) he was quite Mm -hmm. good at running after the catch uh and so that was the first envisionment of it but i mean again winslow here you go here's another guy ahead of his time right he's a tight end that you expect to see today right not much blocking but, you know, again, he's, he was the first option for Fouts most of the time, you know, most of these years. Right. You know, so it's like, you know, he was a modern uh, tight end playing in the 80s, a generation and a half ahead of his time. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Right. All right. So do we agree he should be number two on our list? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Okay. Although, here you go. Right. Here you go. Your next two guys are guys in the same mold, except they were playing on bad teams. Right, and that was yeah. another thing that struck me is how many of these, how many of these guys were on bad teams. These guys, these next two guys, would have been uh, great fantasy guys if you had, because, like, you know, great stats, bad teams. Uh, James Lofton and, and Steve Largent. Which do you like better? 
<laughs> out the birdie. Which which do you like? Uh, well, I I would say Lofton because he had two more years. He, he, I mean, Lofton wore the jersey for sixteen seasons, Largent for fourteen seasons. Lofton on what two different teams, I believe, and uh, you know. At least two, Green Bay and Buffalo, and yes. Largent I think was oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. He... Largent he... came from another team early on, but he was mainly a Seahawk for his. Career. Was he? Oh, I thought he was one yeah. of the original Seahawks. Is he no, played he for them played in somebody else? Didn't he? Oh, well, maybe he did. Maybe may, I might be thinking of somebody. Maybe I'm thinking of Zorn. I know one of those guys came from another team in the expansion draft, but it has him down for Seattle's entire career. So I, I stand corrected. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. He's an original Seahawk, yeah, and and never went anywhere else, never played anywhere else, even though he's from Oklahoma, but never never left Washington State during his whole professional career. Went back home to Oklahoma and became a conservative uh, representative for the U.S. House, actually for the state for that state. But later on, after his career, but um, yeah, let's see. Again, both of these guys were fascinations when you were a kid, right? Uh, and and both of them were on these incredibly losing teams. You know, now now this is back when Green Bay, you know, wasn't <laughs> what do they call that now? Title Town? You know, for a couple of decades there, they they didn't throw around title town, Green Bay, Wisconsin, so much. Uh, they were really mediocre for a long time. Uh, who gave James Lofton's induction speech? Do do you do you know? Uh, no, I don't. It I'm should have sure. been it should have been Lynn Dickey, because my God, you know, here's here's Lofton. Going for really the only option on these Packers teams, you know, what is it four times in five years going for at least 1200 yards, twice breaking 1300, once going 1294. And you know, again, Lynn Dickey's his quarterback now. Once Lynn Dickey wasn't throwing at James Lofton anymore, he, did, he was OOF, he was out of football pretty soon thereafter. Uh, this, this is how I mean, like. Again, Lofton was a stud. Uh, it was a big fish in a small pond. I mean, how many? We got one, two, three, four, five. Jesus, six consecutive Pro Bowls. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And seven out of nine. No, six consecutive. Seven out of eight. Seven out of eight years he made the Pro Bowl. His first eight years. Yeah, nice. And once uh, all pro. Nice. Yeah. Again, like the fact that we knew this guy despite being on the afterthought uh packers was just you know to me that that speaks for itself and again in the 80s another big stat guy from the 80s gotta love it <laughs> yeah okay so we'll put uh, you want to put lofton three sure lofton's in there stat okay. guy okay and large now, large it for sure large it for sure yeah yeah. Okay. Now here's a little story. I thought he played for another team. And I just I looked this up as we were talking here. Okay. He in the 1976 NFL draft, he was picked by the Houston Oilers, 117th oh. overall. And after four preseason games, uh, 
he was had was called in by Bump Phillips and told that they were trading him because he, he really couldn't offer anything to the team. So they traded him to Seattle in uh, sort of like an expansion draft type thing because that's when Seattle's first year was. So he never played a regular season game with the Oilers, mm-hmm. but he was drafted by the Oilers, played their whole preseason there, and was drafted And uh, because Bump Phillips said, you know, it really couldn't help them out very much, you know. We can't have a can't have an all pro receiver on here. We're oh, shipping wow. you off to the Great Northwest. So I think that's probably one of Bump Phillips's uh, big regrets, I'm sure. But uh, for Lord yeah, to... yeah. I mean, one of it certainly felt like this guy was carrying the team sometimes because again, he wasn't playing with great quarterbacks. I mean, everybody loved you know. Zorn because he was small and he was lefty. So, so of course, as mm-hmm. kids, we all thought he was great playing with these plucky Seattle Seahawks, you know. <laughs> but in reality, not that great a quarterback. Um, he, now, here's Largent. He played 14 years for this team, and only twice did they have a record better than nine and seven in those years. And in one of those years, they went like they had like eleven wins or ten wins, and they didn't make the playoffs. So it's like, and uh, the other key to those Seahawks teams, the limited success that they did have, was that you know, Chuck Knox came over and coached them for a long time. And once he got on board, I mean, again, like it's tough to say, Larkin really took off, but he was even better. After after Knox started coaching the team, and I think it's no coincidence that you know they made the playoffs four times in seven years, you know, yeah. while he was coaching. Yeah, it, but people don't remember actually. Largent's whole career was Seattle. They were in the AFC West too. Yeah, so they were yeah. they weren't even an NFC team yet till like ninety two or ninety three when they did realignment. Well, so. you remember that they did that kooky thing where they started the first year the Seahawks were in the NFC. And then and Tampa Bay was in the AFC, and they played every team in the AFC once. That was their schedule. They threw away, like, all other considerations, right? And, and Seattle. That was the 14th game. So they played Seattle. And then the next year they switched them. And Tampa Bay was back in the well was in the NFC, and Seattle did the AFC. And then what did Seattle switch when Houston came in the league in two thousand two, or when did they switch the NFC? Uh, I think it was I think it was ninety five when they went to, from uh, two divisions in each conference to three divisions in each conference. When Jacksonville and Carolina came in, I think ninety whatever the mid nineties, oh. maybe it was ninety five. They re- totally realigned a lot of the the divisions, mm-hmm. and they. Remember, because well, I, I can't say that. No, they had because they had five. The Jaguars were actually in the in the AFC uh, Central with Pittsburgh, and there's five yes. team divisions. So, so maybe it was the late '90s they did it when they oh. said, "Okay, hey, this, this is kind of dumb to have you know five teams in one division and four in another. We got to <laughs> shuffle this up." You know that that's probably when they brought in the, the maybe the Browns came in the new Browns maybe it was in that yeah, era yeah because the Browns came in in yeah the resurrected Browns that was two thousand I believe and then I the Texans right. came in in two thousand two because for a year or two there was thirty one teams and they had two bye weeks in in right. those years teams got two bye weeks because of the weird kooky schedule that was that was kind of thirty one. <laughs> 
Right, so, right. So, yeah, so that must have been it. So, yeah, so, again, kiddies, back in the day for a long time, Seattle was playing with uh, Oakland and the Oakland Raiders, remember them? And the San Diego Chargers, remember them? And, who? Uh, who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Kansas City and uh, who am I Denver. forgetting? Denver, that's it. Denver Broncos. Yeah, they're still the Denver right. Broncos. Okay, great. Yeah, but in any case, Largent was – I mean, he seemed, you know, again, as a kid, he seemed like he was about six, seven out there, you know, and, and always with the, with the high jumps, uh, you could catch just anything, uh, just led the league in receiving a few times and just, mm-hmm. wow, just seven all pro teams, seven all pro teams, not pro bowl, all pro. I mean, it was just, wow, Larger was just awesome, just awesome. He was one of my favorites, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Guy always caught. I don't know if he ever got the ball thrown at his chest. There's always, like you yeah. said, he stretched out. I mean, yeah. Zorn and Dave Craig, his later quarterback, you know, they were putting him up high for this guy. He was only 5'11, you know. Yeah. He had some they put it up quarterbacks for back yeah. then, too. Right. Yeah. He's, he's grabbing everything, like the uh, the San Francisco 49ers playing in the back of the end zone. That's how Larger had to catch every ball. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. exposed to cornerback just ripping his rib cage out, you know. Oh, yeah. Far less protective league, far less protective league. And I don't think he ever, until he got old, until later in his career, I don't think he ever had any serious injury of any sort. No. He took no, some hits, right there. but he always got back up. <laughs> so, I mean, just right. large. He was just a bad, just for the whole heat. He was just a badass. Really great player. All right. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, so that takes us uh, forward with adding Lofton and Larger on there. That's four of our top ten. And uh, we still have some Hall of Famers to go through, or we can okay. put anybody in there, whoever you want to go well, to next. Um, okay, because we've got a couple of exceptions here. We've got like a two-way player and a cornerback, who I'm sure you're dying to talk about because that was from the very bad Pittsburgh Steelers days. But, I mean, should, should we throw in more wide receivers? Well, I think I think the AV's off a little bit because I think I would probably put Chris Carter up in that yeah. next echelon of receivers. Yeah, if that's what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Car- Carter should be up there. I was thinking Carter, and I mean, you know, again, like again, Carter's kind of on mediocre teams. There's there's some of these Vikings teams make the playoffs. Some of them are competitive, but. For me, you know, the longevity is big here, just along with the typical statistics. I mean, between 91 and 2001, he missed four games. I mean, okay. So basically what Steve Largent was to the 80s, Carter is to the 90s, right? And just like like Largent, he's in eight straight Pro Bowls. I mean, you know, that's – again, that's quite a run. So – so, yeah, Carter, again, he's in that mold of just, you know, just unbreakable wide receivers. No, only Carter's uh, four inches taller and outweighs Largent by 20 pounds. So he's, he's a big well, yeah. man for wide receiver in that area. But Six, it, was three, two, oh, two. it was a decade later. It was a decade later. You know, I think, I, think, I think people are starting to smarten up in the 90s. I think this is when – I think this is when, you know, in all – have you noticed this? You don't get like, for example, in baseball. You don't get the fat guy relief pitcher anymore. You know, you you right. rarely see even even the so called fat guys in football are often, 
you know, again, 50, 60 pounds bigger than they used to be, you know, in, <laughs> in the 80s. And I think that I think this really starts happening in the 90s. I think weight training becomes a part of, for example, the basketball players regiment in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why guys like Carter, and we're going to talk about Isaac Bruce, were just a lot more built than, you know, even the guys in the 80s were just a lot stockier and just a lot mm-hmm. bigger at the shoulders and such. So, you know, but which is not to say that Carter was not an impressive physical specimen for his time because he certainly was. But I just think that Carter is a reflection of that change period. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, what a great career he had too, though. Eight Pro Bowls, twice right. an All Pro, All nineteen nineties team. Uh, nineteen ninety nine, uh, what well, wasn't the Walter Payton Man of the Year, the NFL Man of the Year, I guess it was called back then. Uh, you know, just a did great for his community, did great for his team. Uh, a Minnesota Vikings uh, for majority of his career, but he started off as a Philadelphia Eagle, which I. I sort of forgot about 87 through 89 in Philadelphia and was Minnesota for 12 seasons after that and then finished his career in Miami. So, you know, got around the country here pretty good when playing some of these pro teams, but uh, <laughs> pre- pretty, pretty good receiver. You know, another right. one, almost 14,000 yards, you know, it's, it's awesome. These guys are putting up the yardage on uh, these receivers wearing number 80. Yeah. He's uh... 130 touchdowns. He's, he's in a line of uh, great Vikings receivers, right? They, they cranked out a few decent receivers over the years. Yeah, uh, he teamed up with uh, Randy Moss for a while yep. there, too, and Moss yep. was the uh, first couple years in the league. That's so. a great twosome. That's a great twosome. Of course, you've got one guy from the all-90s team, and you've got one guy from the all-odds team. But <laughs> So you're kind of catching them at the wrong points in their respective careers. But that's quite a duo. It's, it's hard to believe that yeah. they never got to the Super Bowl. Oh, wait, it's the Vikings. Yeah. I understand. Well, the the other thing, there was a, another great receiver that was in that uh, room also. A young Larry Fitzgerald was the ball boy Ooh. for those Minnesota Vikings teams. Get out. Those were his idols. And, Get yeah, out. His, That's uh, so Fitz, wild. I think the story, Fitzgerald's father was on the coaching staff for those Vikings teams. I don't. He was oh. an assistant coach of something. And he spent all his time with Carter. And when Randy Moss came on... Uh, couple of the other receivers here but carter really took him under his wing and uh taught taught him the the craft you know and taught him how to catch a ball you you know have the soft hands and went to pit and you know the rest is history in the nfl but yeah he might be the fitzgerald he might be the fitzgerald might be the goat ball boy of all time (laughs) he might be he might be (laughs) got that tutelage and became the number two receiver of all time that's fantastic wow i never knew that that's that's a hell of a trivia item. That's that's fantastic. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, they, they, Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. No problem. No problem. <laughs> I like that. But uh, yeah, so they had a pretty good receiver room, even though one of them couldn't play yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, Carter with with those numbers, I think yeah, definitely, I think he's got to yeah. go five on our list here. Sure. And and you meant you started mentioning another guy that had some long tenure at wide receiver, fourteen seasons for Isaac Bruce. Yeah, Isaac talking Bruce. About him. Yeah, well, uh, another one, he's another one of those guys. There are certain teams, like we, we talked about this before. I've appeared on, on podcasts before. If you talk about those great uh, Browns teams of the 50s or, you know, Curly Lambeau's Packers or anything, you know, there's often not a lot of game film on these guys or stats 
you know, or whatever. But, you know, they, they played with those teams, so you can't really disparage them. And uh, Isaac Bruce is one of those. Uh, you can't disparage anyone from the greatest show on turf, I think. And, you know, even if you only have that one highlight moment in this guy's career, he might crack this list, which is, you know, the game-winning touchdown in Super Bowl 34, the 73-yarder to put the Rams up 23-16, and that was it. You know, it was just like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, based, based on that alone, based on that one season, or let, let's, be, let's be fair and say that, that three-season run, you know, all of these guys are going to make all of these lists, you know, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, all of those guys. Uh, again, just a guy that I love to watch, you know, as a fan. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was just uh, less than two weeks ago. I was uh, in Canton at uh, Tom Benson's uh, field, and there's Isaac Bruce getting his gold jacket. Uh, nice. Kurt Warner's there to congratulate him wearing his gold jacket. You know, all right. That, uh, so, right. yeah, that was, that was quite a great thing to see him. Uh, you know, Isaac Bruce. I mean, who could who couldn't love the greatest show on turf? Like we talked about earlier, of they're just that fun team to watch you know just like you talked about the early chargers the 70s you know air coriel teams mm-hmm. but you know warner this guy that comes from bagging groceries to yep. throw into these outstanding you know was it ricky prole isaac bruce and tory yep. holt you know those stuff you know marshall falk in the backfield oh i mean who could who could not hate him dick vermeil as the coach i mean who who could not love these yep. guys and dick isaac Vermeil, bruce is probably the most likable of them all you know Dick Vermeil, who at that point was the oldest coach to ever have appeared in the Super Bowl, just got beat mm-hmm. last year. He also had the longest gap between Super Bowls of any coach. I don't know if Belichick beat that. I think Belichick went like 12 or 13 years one point. Um, and, yeah, uh, you had to like Vermeil. And also, you know, Marshall Fox. Marshall Falk was another example of a guy that, you know, the Colts cheaped out on. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they, had, they had a great reputation for that before Peyton Manning. You know, this, this was the team they, they cheaped out on players like the, like the old Los Angeles Rams used to do. <laughs> that, was, that was another great example. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just wasn't appreciated. And so he decided to, you know, well, set all-purpose yards records for the Rams instead. Mm-hmm. Well, it worked out for the Colts, though, because they, they drafted Edger and James, who also just went in Canton at that same yep. time as, as Isaac Bruce sure. did. So, it's, sure. So it worked, uh, sure. Out, worked out for both of them on that deal. So, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Good move, good move. But, yeah, I mean, again, like those those greatest show on turf ramps were, were fantastic. Uh, Isaac Bruce, probably, you know, the best wide receiver among, you know, an all-star receiving court. Um yeah. And again, just killed it in that Super Bowl. So, yeah. When did he have enough uh, balls in the air to catch fifteen thousand yards with all those those uh, hungry <laughs> hands uh, on that receiving core? You know, <laughs> right? I don't right know how they got him right. the ball that often? Wow, ninety-one right. touchdowns, fifteen thousand yards, one over a thousand receptions. Yeah, what a quite a career he had. It's a Arena League ball, right? Except in yeah, the NFL. definitely his. Except in the NFL, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's where Warner came from. That wasn't he with the Barnstormers of the, yeah. the Iowa Bar- Barnstormers? Uh, yeah, I think that movie's coming out soon. That might be one for your your movie one. Is it really? 
Is yeah, it really? yeah, they're having a Kurt oh, Warner okay. story coming out uh, real soon. And, <laughs> okay, uh, I hope they don't try and sneak it in, sneak it past us as a Christian movie. Uh, it's uh, got to be. I'll tell you, it's got to be better than. I just finished watching the replacements again. Figured I'd give that another shot. Nope, that was just bad. I love so. that movie. Oh, oh that, really? That oh, movie has got the. Uh, that movie's got one of the greatest lines of all times. Okay, I, I love it, and I forget the actor's name. It was Eddie Albert who's playing the owner? I think it was yeah. Eddie Albert. Yeah, he, he says, I, "I've seen better fights or better." Uh, aggressiveness at monkey shit fights at the zoo that's the greatest yeah. line ever i'm sorry kids that you're listening but that's one of the greatest lines ever that <laughs> blip that out when you do this podcast oh man okay well we'll we'll have a little talk after this podcast i don't want to i don't want to put the uh, listeners through my rant on that but no it is not a good movie kids it is not um after this for me after this it almost feels like this list becomes a personal preference thing, at least as far as the receivers go. I don't know. Do you have any other favorites here? I was kind of looking at Irving Fryer, but. Yeah, I, I mean, Irving Fryer, Rod Johnson, Andre Johnson, they're all sort of in that, that same realm. But I, I mean, I have a, a good Jack Butler story for you, though. Yeah, Just okay. Me, I know. You, yeah, okay. I know you've been I mean, dying to talk about the Steelers guy, so. Let's well, talk about well, he's, Jack, Jack Butler played his whole career uh, in the 1950s with the Steelers, who had horrible teams. Yes. But, he, but they had some pretty de- decent defenses. You know, 1952 in particular, they had their best cornerback was a guy named Howard Hartley. And actually, um, Jack Butler came in as a defensive end. That's what he was drafted as. And the guy opposite of Howard Hartley got hurt. And the backup got hurt. They had nobody else to put out there on the field. So the, the coach at the time said, hey, I know you're a defense son. Go out there and play cornerback you know, or whatever, or maybe safety, some kind of defensive back. The guy spent the rest of the season picking off a pass. In, he had like six interceptions in the 12 games. So every other game he's picking off a pass. Him and Hartley, the second season together, you know, 1951, they had, uh, in a two-year span, 24 games, they had 26 interceptions between the two of them. So yeah. both at, you know, opposite side cornerbacks. That's pretty formidable when your, your cornerbacks are picking off you know, 1.1 passes per game. So um, <laughs> I just thought it was amazing. This guy was a defensive lineman when he came out of college. And uh, in the middle of the season, hey, you're, now you're a defensive back because we don't have anybody else. So get out there. Wow. And the guy made the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That, I think, is an amazing story. To, you know, I can't think of anybody else that I've heard that to be such drastically different to your positions. Well, a smaller game, simpler game at that time, right? A lot more uh, athletic game uh, in the backfield yeah. there, I guess. But, uh, gee, I was going to say, I wasn't, I wasn't sure where you were going to go with that story. I thought you were going to tell me that Hartley got Wally pipped, but. <laughs> You're gonna tell me he never got his job back? <laughs> yeah, this guy no, no, no. Hart, Hart, Hartley, I think played. I, I think he just faded into obscurity the rest of his career. But uh, yeah, you know, Butler def, definitely. There's there's stories. You know, Butler would they'd have like the, he'd be up against the best receiver on the other team, and you know, of course, you could you could give shots down the field then you and not get called for it. You know, wide receivers got beat up back in the fifties all the way through the seventies, oh, yeah. and. Okay. Uh, uh, Jack Butler was just ruthless on these guys. He would just pound them, you know, into submission. By the fourth quarter, these receivers 
didn't want to go out for passes anymore. <laughs> so if it came down to the line, not that the Steelers won games, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but uh, you got a good, good story though. They're the anti Eric Coriel Chargers, right? So right, right. They, they're not going to allow any points, but they're not going to score any points either. So, right, so that's right. <laughs> um, I mean, for, for me, the thing that sticks out is, I mean, it speaks for itself again, is, is you know, he made four consecutive all-pro teams on, you know, again, like not exactly a star-studded Steelers team. So, you know, that's – Yeah, and, and that and alone there's is only enough. like four, 14 teams in the league at the time or 12 right. or whatever it was. But, yeah, but still, you know, that's the area he played in and he played – played well enough to make it to the pro football hall of fame, but right, I, exactly. I don't know that he's good. I don't, I'm not saying I'm going to put him on our top 10 list. I don't know yet. Um, but I, he's got an outside chance, but I think there's maybe some players that we could talk about that might be more deserving. So, but I just wanted to make sure we mentioned him because I think he's a good one. Well, the other guy from the era is Len Ford, right? Is that who you're thinking about? Is, mm-hmm. is, is he more worthy? Okay. Because, you know, actually a similar trajectory, He's just playing with a much better team. You know, again, I alluded to right. this earlier. He's he's a four-time All-Pro, like a Butler, but you know, he's playing on those awesome Cleveland Browns teams. And uh, but that's later. He actually started in the All-American Football Conference, right, with the Los Angeles Don, still one of the great all-time team names in football. Um, and uh, but then he wore he wore number eighty. I wanted to point this out. He was a four time All Pro on those awesome Cleveland Browns teams, but he was three of those years in number eight. So if there's any like borderline discussion here, we got to commit. He was a three time All Pro number eighty. Len Ford was. Right, right. Um, yeah, he wore fifty and fifty-three his first four years, and fifty with the Dons, and fifty-three his first two seasons with the Browns. But nineteen fifty-two, that's when the NFL, after the AAFC got absorbed in nineteen fifty, they said, "Hey, these guys, you know, Cleveland and San Francisco and this Baltimore team, they're coming in wearing all these crazy numbers. They're messing up our whole scheme. Okay, we got to set the law oh, down." Is that the story? Here's. Yeah, so you know, interior linemen are 50 through 79, and wide receivers are this up, up until this last couple of years where they changed everything around. Now they can, you know, they'll be able to wear number 11 and number one and everything on the outside. So, but that, that's why they changed, everybody changed their numbers uh, oh. in that era in 1952 because the NFL laid the law down. Did Len we Ford talking, make uh, the 53? I didn't listen to the fifty-three episode. Did Len Ford make the fifty-three? I no, I don't think he made our top ten of fifty-three because he Ah. only wore it for two seasons. Ah, you sort of. Yeah, yeah, I I think Len Len Ford is uh, deserving uh, to be on that list. (laughs) All right, six seasons with it. So, and and we should point out too that you know he was he was the two-way player early too. And he's getting uh, right. he was wide receiver and he was getting a thousand yards a season as a wide receiver in the early fifties. Yeah. So so pretty good. Right. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take him. Okay, so we'll put him on as our seventh. Now, here's a guy, that, another one that's sort of in that Butler range that I'm not sure, and that's Tom Fierce. That's our last Hall of Famer. Yeah. So Tom Fier- yeah. Tom Fierce played on those great L.A. Rams teams that had Norm Van Brocklin and Bob Waterfield at quarterback. Crazy Leg Hirsch was the wide receiver opposite of him. Uh, they had, um, uh, who was the back? Um, 
Smith was his last name. He had a was a vinyl Smith or something like that. He had a he had a crazy first name and but good good back. But their offenses were prolific back in uh, the 1950s when uh, Fears played and Crazy Legged Hirsch. And Fears was sort of I think he outled her crazy legs Hershey even in receiving yards every year he was the top receiver on the Rams during those years of the most potent mm-hmm. offense in the NFL at the time mm-hmm. so I, th- I think he you know he's kind of an odd one that uh, we need to think about here a little bit because that his in his era in a 12 game season put up some pretty good numbers a couple thousand yard seasons that's tough to do in 12 games yeah 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 exactly like uh, <laughs> like our like our boy uh Hang on a second. Hang on just a second. Yeah, like a like our boy Len Ford. Um, yeah, Fierce is a guy I know through tabletop football, um, and not much else, to be honest. I haven't read much about him or anything like that. But I remember playing with him in tabletop ball. He was on, you know, again those those great teams of the fifties. Um, so he came, mm-hmm. you know the all-50s team set or whatever that I had. And I believe he was also in the way, way old days of Madden, but they had all-time players that you could play with as well. He was also in there. And, uh, you know, it's funny because in the Madden game, they converted to, like, modern style. So he was all geared up in the modern outfit and everything. He was, like, this this little guy compared to, like, the modern guys, but he could still catch like a modern guy. So I'll tell you, he was awesome in Madden. I, I never saw him in real life, but he was fantastic in Madden NFL. So yeah, I, 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 I if Fears is an all timer that I'm playing with as a kid, yeah, I, I, I get him on here. We, we've got a paucity of defensive players on our number eight list anyway. Yeah, and uh, and Vitamin Smith. That's the guy's name I was trying. Not Vinyl Smith. Vitamin. Oh yeah, Smith. Vitamin, I think that was one of the. That's yeah, a great. Vitamin Smith. Great, great back. How could uh, they, I forget? Had a good, pretty good offense going on there. Okay, so that uh, if we're if we put, we're putting fears on, then there's our eighth. Sure, sure. I like. Okay, so, okay. So now we got to make some choices here. We're getting out of the Hall of Fame realm because uh, we put eight of them in, and. Um, we still have some some decent wide receivers like we talked about. Um, you know, with the Rod Smiths, Andre Johnson, Irving Fryer, Donald Driver is on that list. Uh, Tony Hill, Chris Collinsworth. You know, there, there's some good ones in there to choose that all had some longevity wearing number eighty. Um, well, if if okay, you brought up, uh, you know, the uh, the Peyton Man of the Year award before. Mm-hmm. So okay if. I mean, if you're going to bring in contributions outside the actual playing field, I love Chris Collinsworth. I love Chris Collinsworth's play-by-play stuff. And one of the things I don't like about these guys who go into play-by-play, you know, Dan Fouts is another one, is that you have to do this thing where you, you put down how good you were. You know, now I don't know if this is the Reggie Jackson effect, because I don't know if you remember when Reggie was doing uh, baseball, he would do baseball for ABC once in a while. And he was always like, I was, you know, when in when if I were hitting it, I'd do it like this. You know, he was always better than the other guys. Mm -hmm. So nowadays it's like you got to be worse than you actually were. But Collinsworth was great. Collinsworth was a great receiver. 
He played in two Super Bowls. You know, many years during his career, he's on a top five passing offense in the NFL with the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, you, you know, people forget because in the 21st century, they haven't done much of the 21st century. They haven't done much of anything. But back in the day, and this was a Super Bowl contender. They played in two Super Bowls. They had the Niners on the ropes, right? Until Montana. Twice, yeah. yeah, until Joe Montana mm-hmm. saw John Candy. You know, they had him on the ropes. <laughs> they had him on. And I think, I think, I'm going to test this theory because I have to research this for an upcoming GOATS episode. But I have the theory that Collinsworth is the one that popularized that story. I think he's the one that heard that story and started telling it to everybody. <laughs> and I think that's why that story is so popular now about John Candy. But um, could be. I, just, I just love Collinsworth as a guy in the booth so much that I want him on this list. So often, you know, uh, play-by-play and color commentary are, are fields where you only talk about the guys if you hate them, like if they suck. Like you rarely go, oh my god! Like uh, the other one is uh, 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 not Troy Aikman, but uh, Tony Romo. Tony Romo. Tony, Tony Tony Romo is the other one where people talk about them positively, you know, because mm-hmm. they're so much better. It's kind of like a domination thing. They're so much better than the standard blah blah blah. I'm giving nothing to this to this game. And so, in that respect alone, I want Collinsworth on this team. I just love Collinsworth. Well, well, let, let's let's. I mean, I, I like. I mean, I like him as an announcer too. But let's let's look at him compared to some of these other guys. Okay. okay. So Chris Collinsworth, he's got uh, just under sixty seven hundred yards, thirty six touchdowns in his career. Uh, Irving Fryer. Uh, he, so my stack thing comes up on here. Irving Fryer has almost 13,000, almost double the yardage with 84 touchdowns, double the touchdowns, 851 receptions. Uh, Rod Smith played a little bit later than, uh, than those two guys. He had uh, a little over 11,000 yards, 68 touchdowns. Andre Johnson, a more modern player who just uh, recently hung up, over 14,000 yards, 70 touchdowns, 1,000 receptions. Donald Driver, uh, another one that has uh, just over 10,000 uh, yards receiving, 61 touchdowns, 743 receptions. I don't know that I can honestly say I would put Carter over those four guys, especially Fryer that played sort of in the same era as him. Well, these things are subjective, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> is, I knew I knew I had to I knew I had to get your goat. This is not double yeah, pun this there. Is, this, is not, <laughs> this is not truly the goat. I'm not taking this seriously. Now, like I say, like I say, I mean yeah, you know, I mean the other thing too about Collinsworth is he only plays eight seasons. But you right. know, again, I think but but this is I think this is a lot of he just didn't want to take the punishment anymore. You know, it's it's not a situation where he was done. I mean, again, he bookended his career with those Super Bowls, right? His first season and his last right. season, he's going to the Super Bowl. So it's not like he had nothing left in the tank. I think he just wanted to leave with something in the helmet, you know. Um, in all seriousness, I, again, I'd probably go Fryer 
uh, a lot because, you know, Rod Smith, Andre Johnson, Driver, um, the stats are similar, but Fryer's mm-hmm. a bit more uh, longer lasting. And in fact, Fryer is a very interesting career because he was, you know, a very steady presence for the Patriots uh, in the mid 80s to early 90s. And you know, he's playing almost every game. But those weren't really big play teams. I mean, even those wonderful Tony Eason teams, one of which made the Super Bowl to get bubbled by the Bears, you know, they just weren't break the game open teams. And they weren't huge play teams again. Uh, but then he goes on to play a few years in Miami, he goes to play on a few years in Philadelphia. And he's actually getting better statistically, you know, in an offense that was, you know, more designed where maybe he was the number one option. Well, he was the number one option in England. So he's just getting a lot more looks in Miami, in Philadelphia. And, you know, in his late 30s, he's getting some of his best season statistics. So it just kind of goes to show again, like to bring it kind of full circle. Um, Fryer is a guy. I mean, imagine this guy. In Walsh's system. I mean, this guy was great already, but then if he had had a big-name quarterback, if he had had a freewheeling coach, this guy might have had some real proverbially gaudy numbers uh, in the NFL. Yeah, true. So if I have to be 100% serious, it's Fryer. Okay, I I would say Fryer, too, at the ninth. Now, for the tenth, I'm going to throw a name we haven't talked about yet. And uh, that's Andre Bad Moon Rising. Shoot <laughs> these numbers out. Five five Pro Bowls, one All-Pro, Super Bowl championship, over 10,000 yards, 84 touchdowns, 743 yards. I mean, he's right in there with those numbers of those other guys with Driver and Andre Johnson and uh, Donald Driver, Rod, Rod Smith. He, he's right in there with them. Um but he's not—he's uh, not all '90s team, huh? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, he's not <laughs> not an all '90s team, but he has a Super Bowl ring. Yep. And, yep. Um, you know, five, five Pro Bowls—that's that's pretty pretty big. And he didn't wear eighty his whole career, but he wore it for eleven of the nineteen or twenty years that he did play. So oh. a substantial amount of time. Uh, he was uh, Indianapolis and Atlanta. He was uh, wearing the number eighty in Cleveland. So. That's a scintillating pick. I kind of like that. Um, I'm kind of looking at this. Man, it's got to be some kind of pain and suffering award for Troy Brown. <laughs> how many times? <laughs> how many? How many times was this guy released and cut by the Patriots? And I mean, again, you talk about a guy where it's like, hey, you want to play another position? This guy was a two-way player yeah. for the Patriots. Right. Yeah. Hey, we, we lost our fi- our first six uh, defensive backs. Can you go in and play? We know you're exactly. a wide receiver, but exactly. we're throwing you in there. Yeah. And again, like Troy, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he the one that made that completely fantastic uh, last-second hit on the Charger defensive player? And save the playoff game for the Patriots against the fourteen and two Chargers. Mm. I believe he was. He, he might have. 
he could have been. Yeah, he, been. I think he was playing receiver at that point, and and the the Charger picked off a Brady pass, refused to go down, which is now we know it's what you're supposed to do, and then just Brown hit him in the ball, hit him in the football, and it <laughs> came loose, and and the Patriots got it back, and damn it, those Patriots won again and went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm yeah, pretty he sure. Had- he in two thousand four, I think that was that first year. Uh, I think that was the first year that, or maybe the second year that Brady won Super Bowl. He had Troy Brown had three interceptions, playing wide rec- and he was a wide receiver, mm-hmm. <laughs> starting wide receiver had three picks. Right. Yeah. So not, Brown, not there, uh, there's an inter- and plus and plus he was the guy too that um, in those two thousands every year he would get released by the Patriots and then they'd pick him up again and sign him for the minimum. <laughs> He'd come yeah, out there and be the I, Swiss Army knife for these guys. <laughs> I, I think he was a substantial player, but I think he's sort of like a Collinsworth. His numbers were almost identical to Collinsworth: 6,300 yards, thirty one touchdowns, one Pro Bowl. With three Super Bowl rings. Three Super Bowl uh, rings, right. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's a little different than Collinsworth. But, right, uh, exactly. And played I, for I about don't know, twice there's some interesting... Played for twice as long. Yeah, too. right. But, uh, yeah, I don't know that we can put him... Nah. That I could sit right putting him on there either. He'd be yeah. right up there with putting Collinsworth ahead of some of these other guys. Cause See, I, the, this I number think 10 it's, on these lists, I got to tell you, this number 10... Ends up being like, you know, number 12 on Team USA basketball. You know, like number 10 is the victory human cigar of these of these who's the greatest to wear the jersey number <laughs> podcasts. Seriously. And that's why I always want to put like, you know, the token guy at number 10. <laughs> I don't want to go the best guy. I want to go the most interesting guy <laughs> at number 10. But, I, I so, hear you, but we, but we but we talked about we talked about these interesting guys. Yeah. yeah. So I so I think I mean I think it comes down to in my mind Andre Risen, Donald Driver, Andre Johnson, or Rod Smith. I think it's it's got to come down to the, one of those guys based on what we have. I I don't see anybody else that compares i don't think a tony hill even though you know great player i just don't think uh he has the numbers i'll take a peek at his numbers here real quick three pro bowls super bowl championship eight thousand yards 51 touchdowns i don't think he's on par with the, those other guys even the guys of his era you know irving fryer you know blows them out of the water um yeah what's the case for smith the two Super Bowl rings. He's got the two Super Bowl rings. Um, he's got uh, over eleven thousand yards, uh-huh. sixty-eight touchdowns, eight hundred forty-nine receptions. Um, you know, three Pro Bowls. I, I think that's. I gotta say, I'm kind of stuck with Fryer. I'm kind of stuck with Fryer. I, I like Fryer as yet another. Well, we we already put we Fryer's a given. Well, Fryer's we already got Fryer on. Oh. We're we're trying to choose. The, he was Friar was nine. No, we're trying okay. to choose number ten. This 10. That's what I'm saying. I think it's almost. I almost think it's a four horse race. Risen, yeah. uh, uh, Andre Risen, Andre Johnson, Donald Driver, Rod Smith. I think it's a four horse race, <laughs> and uh, I'm a, I'm sort of leaning towards towards Risen. Yeah, because I think he was just. I think he's an interesting story, like you said, but he's got the numbers to back it up, and you know, the guy could ball. For a little guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna break my brain on this. Otherwise, um, he's got the one ring. Um, 
yeah, I, this is going to break my brain. Let's go with Ryzen. Let's go with Bad Moon Ryzen. All right. Bad Moon Ryzen. Okay. So that is our top 10 here. We Let's go through it again here real quick. Uh, Jerry Rice, uh, Kellen Winslow, James Lofton, Steve Largent, Len Ford. I'm sorry. I jumped down. Uh, Chris Carter, Isaac Bruce, Len Ford, Tom Fears, uh, Irving Fryer, and Bad Moon Rising. So, hey, we did it. Not, not too many bumps and bruises getting out of that, but uh, we did it. So I, I appreciate uh, you coming on and, and helping me out with this because this, this is a tough one. I know you enjoyed some of these players. Um, it only got tough at the end. <laughs> yeah, um, that's for sure. That's yeah, for sure. no, I just want to say thanks for letting me come on and, and do the Jerry Rice thing. Um, I, I, I take this kind of thing way too seriously, but I'm, I'm, I'm on a one-man crusade against recency bias. I really am. I mean, I mean the fact that it, it, when we start talking about goats, when you really start getting serious about goats, you got to look at the peers, right? You got. I mean, like this is why somebody like to me, Johnny United, is is a is a more compelling goat argument than Tom Brady. And Johnny United had passing marks that stood for like decades. And Tom Brady, meanwhile, is passing off the all-time passing yards thing week to week with Drew Brees. And, you know, back in the day, Peyton Manning. I mean, you know, there's no – like Michael Jordan is another example. There's just nobody that compared with him at his time. You know, and my boy, Don Bradman, there's just nobody that's of his peer. Lawrence Taylor, like we talked about, there's just nobody on his level. And, and, you know, to me, that's – he, Jerry Rice is a generational player, generation, a generational athlete in his sport. I agree. I agree. And so, and so just thanks for letting me come on and talk Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is a GOAT Hall of Fame. It's really the GOAT's Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Oz. Well, thank you very much, and we will listen to your multiple programs that you're on uh, on Sports History Network, uh, Truly the Goats, uh, Sports History Network Showcase, and the game – what's the game, game uh, movie? Game film. Game film. Game film. I'm sorry about that. So, yeah, game film. So make sure you check out Oz and Aaron Davis on that and Oz on the other shows with uh, many of our Sports History Network uh, podcast people which we have some new ones coming up so we'll have some new showcase yeah. episodes coming out soon i'm sure so we're looking forward to that so oz davis thank you once again thank we're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker it's fourth and long we're gonna have to punt the ball and get on out of here but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines so be sure to tune in we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. A special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of sports yesteryear.